0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov.
1: This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk
0: Mississippi.
1: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert. Today, along with Will East, in for the vacationing Rhino, we're in the Element Well studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. And as Rhino would say, it is Friday, y'all, and a windy one out there.
2: I almost got, I drive a big old SUV and almost got blown Man. off the road.
1: Man, it's a. Uh... I noticed coming out of my driveway this morning the branches and the other debris scattered about the landscape with all that wind blowing it. And, of course, my pool is yellow, filled (laughs) with pollen today. And uh, so the pine cones, you can see them budding out at this point. Gee whiz. But that's the way March is, right?
2: March, lots of pollen. We don't get snow. We get the yellow stuff.
1: What do they say? In like a lion, out like a lamb.
2: Yes, that's it. And then, well, of course, uh, we'll deal with the rains of April. Yeah. Here before you know it.
1: There you go. Spring in Mississippi. I'll have to say I prefer that over the uh, the frigid temperature stuff.
2: You're not a cold guy? You don't like the cold weather? Negative. I like to be
1: outside in uh, the shorts is what I like. Uh one day when I get rich I'm gonna move somewhere where it's warm all the time. <laughs> but a whole bunch of stuff happening in the state and in these United States, the Murdoch trial, boy, that riveted the nation, did it not?
2: I'm gonna tell you, are you familiar with Everything that's happened? Have you watched some of the documentaries and all that kind of stuff?
1: I haven't watched the documentaries. I'm I'm vaguely familiar. I mean, I, I wasn't just glued to it, fascinated with it like a lot of people
2: yeah. were, but... It is the... It's one of those stories you hear it all the time, stranger than fiction. It, yeah. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. If you wrote it... It, it would make a good uh, drama for Netflix, a fictional drama, because of all the stuff that has happened over... The past, I guess, it's 2015, really, there's been a. There was a, a maid that was supposedly murdered. There was a uh, one of the sons that was having an affair with another guy, and apparently that was a, a murder. Then there was uh, some money stolen. There was a boating accident. There was the two murders. There was the maybe assassination attempt, maybe suicide attempt, maybe fake attempt. I don't mm. know. There's all this stuff going on with this one family in this one county, Hampton County, South Carolina, which has got like 38,000 people in it or incredibly something. Incredibly small. Where it's, you know, that cliche of everybody knows everybody. There's no industry there. Right. Part of the reason why is because it is one of the most uh litigious counties in oh, the I United States. That. Yes. Huh. If you want to sue somebody, that's the county you want to go to. Kind of like Mississippi used to be before tort reform. You know, yeah, right. You know, if if you Jefferson
1: had a, Davis County was like the home of numerous high profile suits against major pharmaceutical exactly. companies. Exactly. Pretty exactly. Pretty much guaranteed a, a verdict against the pharmaceutical
2: companies and a big distribution. South Carolina had ha, still has this weird law where if if a company operates anywhere in the state, I may be getting this wrong and if i am i'm sorry but i believe it is if you operate anywhere in the state you can sue someone any in any county in that state doesn't have to be in that county Uh where the incident occurred and that hampton county south Carolina, it's called the low country yeah that is incredibly you know lots of huge huge um dollar figures for the um for the plaintiffs and this family has been in control of it for like a hundred years. Yeah. It's, it's just
0: old, Right, that's thing. an old
1: South Carolina family. Even heard, I don't know if you caught this, Will, that apparently Murdoch's grandfather? Yes. A, a picture or a painting of his grandfather hung in the courtroom or around the building or somewhere where it was highly visible, and it's because... He evidently has some history D- associated during with During the, the
2: co- trial, I mean, his gr- grand- they grandfathers... They take it down, they said. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Is yes. that what you heard? Okay. I mean, since, great, crazy. since way back then, they've been kind of controlling this county as this uh, solicitor, whatever position it's called. Um, but th- there's all this money stolen, and maybe right. that's the reason why he committed these murders. It's just there's a Netflix documentary about it there's there's all kinds of documentaries about it the Netflix one is probably the one that most people have seen right now and they have uh, jailhouse tapes of the two son the the father and the son talking to each other it was pretty amazing but yeah it's it's a fascinating fascinating story and he – the news is, is that he was found guilty yesterday after three hours of deliberation by the jury, and he has been sentenced to life in prison.
1: Unbelievable. Sentenced this morning. Yes. I, I did catch the reading of the verdict yesterday, and the judge at that point said that we're in the interest of time or the time of day, they would postpone the, the um, sentencing until this morning. Yeah. And that happened. Yeah. Uh, it was a little surprising, maybe a little surprising, that it only took about 45 minutes of deliberations. I mean, the jury didn't even have a chance to consume their granola bar there that the government <laughs> gives them uh, before they reached a verdict. It yeah. didn't take long. And and then there was, I guess, a move to, to what um, – Change it. So I don't exactly know what the legal terminology is. I apologize for that. But but the bottom line is it was it was a move to sort of change the outcome or postpone it or hear more um, testimony, something to that effect. But the judge said, you know, the evidence here is overwhelming. I mean, he that's kind of unusual, I think, coming from a judge. So he maybe a stay on it is what he's looking for.
2: So, so this day and age in forensics, it's DNA and cell phones. That's what gets you. And uh, they have, he apparently was searching for restaurants uh, to go eat at five minutes after his wife was oh murdered. Oh, my gosh. So you know, that alone right there, after he makes the 911 call, he's searching for a restaurant oh to go eat at. Oh, my gosh.
1: Well, so there are some who say that it was his son, you know, speaking from the grave, essentially, through this these uh, text messages that were used this very strong evidence obviously
2: yeah that the, ultimately
1: led to his his conviction
2: the the big question that remains is why and money is a a big issue he was alex murdoch was a big time uh, attorney and was apparently stealing money from the law firm uh, or stealing money from his clients i don't know the exact figure but stealing a lot of money and they had gotten wise to it He had a drug addiction, pain pills. Right. um, Stole money. Stole money, pain pills, all that kind of stuff going on, and his wife was noticing that bills were going unpaid, that uh, you know stuff wasn't right, and then all of a sudden they end up dead. Now, the the one of the real tragedies of this is the boating accident that occurred a couple of years ago with his son, the one that he murdered, the 22 year old. it's a, I don't want to go into all the details of it, but essentially one of uh, their friends was killed in this boating accident. Right. And he was supposedly driving the boat that the young son was, and he was essentially staying at their uh, house. I don't think he was under house arrest or anything like that, but he was trying to you know, keep straight while um, the wheels of justice uh, were moving in that case, and then he gets murdered. So
1: is this another situation, you think, where someone gets tied up with drugs and they take over their lives
2: Absolutely, could, to the point where
1: they murder their own flesh and blood in the form of their son and, of course, their spouse?
2: They knew that he had an addiction problem, um, but they didn't talk a whole lot about it. Some of the, the girlfriend of one of the sons talks about how you know, you'd see him shaking and he would basically go through DDTs when he didn't have his pills. And, um, so maybe that's some of it. We don't quite know all the details of it, but it's one of those cases where you have everything in the world that you could possibly want, and drug addiction is one of the um, causes of that destruction.
1: Tor- not only tore the family apart, ended up with two of them being murdered, yes, um, by a, another member of the family. In this case, the father. It, it's so. It's sad. It really is. I mean, you're you're happy to see, I think the right verdict reached, um, and and that this guy's going to jail, likely for the rest of his life. But it's just it's a sad situation. Honestly, uh, I will say this: Does it not show, however, that the justice system in this in this uh, country, even though maybe flawed? Still the best, and it worked in this case, I believe.
2: If this had been in another country, right, probably would have gotten off scot-free.
1: Right, because of their power and um, uh, just legacy in the area and the name and so forth. Yeah, We're stepping aside for a break right here in the Element Wealth Studios. We're just getting started. When we come back, Senator Jeremy England uh, will be with us. We're going to talk about this uh, bill that... Severely restricts the route to market for vehicles in Mississippi. Stay with us.
3: 97.3.
0: Check it out. Let's do that. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Okay, well, I see what you did there.
2: <laughs> I was going to see if you <laughs> caught on to it.
1: <laughs> it's Rick Ocasek and the Cars. Where did they come up with that name for a band, the Cars? I don't know. They had some good songs. He though. Did, they did have some good songs. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, When I was working in New Orleans, uh, when I first got out of school, I worked downtown on Poydras Street when I worked for Arthur Anderson. And my apartment was roughly seven miles away in uh, Metairie. And if you've spent any time in New Orleans in the summer, you know that about every day you're going to get them thunderstorms. It's much like Florida in that respect. We got Senator Jeremy England shaking his head in the Element Well studios from the Gulf Coast. He's familiar with this. That's right. So that rain comes every day. About quitting time, and you're on the interstate trying to get to Metairie from downtown, it's about an hour and a half to get those seven miles back there. Wow. And what. Made me think about that was um, the cars were a popular group in that day when I was working, and I I, re- I can remember sitting in one of those torrential thunderstorms right there around the cemeteries. It's um, it's ten makes right. the shift there to uh, to Metairie, and the cars blasting out on my radio yeah. there. So <laughs> WTYX or IX or whatever it was, one of the the local stations in New Orleans, very very popular. I think it was TIX as I recall, very popular. Um, FM station that played classic rock and so forth. It wasn't classic then. I call yeah, it classic it was, rock. Then it was current it rock.
4: was, current. It was before <laughs> my time.
1: <laughs> but the rain would come, and it was already an hour and a half commute. But you had that rain into it, and it takes it to about two hours. And this is no joke. Now the uh, the accidents on that stretch were so frequent, you could just count on it every day. That the New Orleans Police Department would locate in the medians of the interstate, waiting for the accidents. Wow. Just knowing they're going to have meaning. to go. Yeah. Every day, because people are... And we didn't have phones back then, but the cars didn't They didn't maneuver as easily as they do today. When it rained, you couldn't count on the brakes stopping you before <laughs> you slid. I digress, though, but you got me thinking about it with a car. Senator Jeremy England, of course who represents a uh, district fifty one serves as the vice chair of the economic development uh house committee. Is that right? That don't it's, sound right. That's
4: not right. No, so I was vice chairman of economic uh and workforce development in the Senate my first year. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a little bit of change uh, changeover. A couple folks got appointed to different positions. Okay. So now I'm vice chair of Judd B., which is a, a much busier committee, but I still love my uh, my service on the economic workforce development. Apologize for that. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, apologize for that. We'll get that right. So
1: you are um, among the few <laughs> who voted uh, nay to House Bill 401, this is the bill that essentially dictates what I call the route to market Mm -hmm. for a motor vehicle in the state of Mississippi. It um, essentially prescribes the way in which motor vehicles are bought and sold in Mississippi. And I got to tell you, Senator, I'm a little confused on exactly what this bill does. I I have stated that in, in my reading of it and in speaking to others mm-hmm. that what the bill would do is require that a vehicle sold in Mississippi uh, be done so by an independently owned and operated franchise organization inside the state with a physical dealership located and licensed to do business in, a, in accordance with the licensing requirements in the state. That's right. So I've indicated that that looked to me like that if a manufacturer wanted to sell through an outlet which it owned, a manufacturer-owned dealership located in the state, that would be prohibited, and that if a manufacturer wanted to sell directly just bypassing any dealer, either owned by itself or a franchise of the manufacturer, that that too would be prohibited. So Senator Sparks says no, the ladder there that I described would still be
4: allowed and I'm having a hard time understanding if that's true or not. Yeah, look, you're not the only one, Gerard. I, I don't know if, if what we passed yesterday prohibits that now. Okay. You, you know, and, and look, which is another Join reason, the ranks of the confused. That's right. <laughs> well, and look, it was just another reason why we needed to discuss this more, Sure. And I tried three different amendments to try to get this thing to to just move on through the system and give us a couple more weeks to talk about it before sending it to the governor's desk, and I couldn't get it done. Um so so now here we are and and yeah I'm not sure I mean look you can't go on a or it's my understanding you can't go on a Toyota website and order a car and have it come straight to your house you go you you may be able to go do that to a dealer yeah but is that because of
1: state law or because of of uh, just Toyota operational policy
4: well see I, again I'm not real sure I think that um, I think that with this law we passed yesterday if you want to buy directly from a manufacturer you can't do that you've got to go through you you've got to have an independent um, well, that's my understanding. Senator yeah, Sparks said that that's not the case,
1: and and so it's it's certainly true that um, most of these new manufacturers that are popping up uh, into the auto industry, such as Tesla, mm-hmm. they're disrupting uh, the market, obviously. And there are many more who plan to introduce vehicles, uh, mostly electric vehicles, because that appears to be the future mm-hmm. of uh, the vehicle industry, but. Uh, we don't know what their route to market may be. Apple is is busy uh, building out, uh, standing up their electric vehicle business unit. They may sell directly to consumers and, and not have uh, a dealer network in place. If they do so, will they be granted a license to sell
4: those vehicles in Mississippi? Right. Right, and look, I, I don't want to say that Senator Sparks is wrong. I, he may be wrong, or right. Sure, but it's a conversation I need to have with him. He's he's a very bright guy. He and I yes. went to law school together. Um, but but my understanding of the law is that now, if you you know, like you said, if you want a a vehicle in Mississippi from a manufacturer, you're gonna um, you're gonna have to do that at a independently owned uh, franchise here in Mississippi or a car dealer, as we yeah. That's what we see you we, up and down the interstate. That's yeah. right, commonly know of. So right. I have,
1: uh, you know, I've read the, the legislation, and I'm not really sure, honestly. Uh, it, it appears that, as best I can tell, there's a, there's some language in here that says the applicant must furnish satisfactory evidence that he or it maintains adequate space in the building or structure. Wherein his or its established business is conducted for the display of new motor vehicles,
4: right? Yeah, look, a lot sounds to me like you got to have a brick and mortar presence to sell a car, right? And a lot of that's existing language uh, that's been there for you know. I think I think Senator Sparks said for the last fifty years, but I'm not sure if this even goes back further than that. I mean, it's a it's a very old law, and like you say, we're moving forward, or at least the market's moving forward, and and we're trying to lock in a a very old way of doing business here in Mississippi. Right. Um, you, you know, that, this really c- caused me
1: to think about this whole concept of, why do we have franchise
4: law? Why do we need that? That's very What's good that all about? Look, I don't think we do. I, I think eventually we need to get rid of franchise law. We need to let the market deal with it. What is it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. so i,
1: I got I to gotta tell the audience here, and you as well, I started my company in 1986. I was a franchisee. Mm -hmm. I never knew there was franchise laws. I was a franchisee for about 10 years, Right, paid royalties, which is pretty typical in a franchise relationship. Right. And I don't remember any protections against folks who would sell the same exact products that I sold that did so back then through mail order, did so through outlets that uh, were not franchisees, did so from the trunks of their cars. Right, and look, did so directly from the manufacturer. I mean it was multiple routes to market. I didn't get any protections right. wow
4: where's that? Well, absolutely. And look, one of my amendments. It was something very odd that I did yesterday. I introduced an amendment that I voted against, but I called it the "What's good for the goose is good for the gaggle" <laughs> awesome. uh, amendment. Right? Instead of the gander, is the gaggle. And, and basically, the amendment was: look, if you if you operate, um, if you if you use franchises in Mississippi, then you're required to use franchises in Mississippi. So that went for all across the, the spectrum of the board. Of course, we voted it down because it's just silly to do that. Yeah. Um, but we're doing it here with this, you know, this one group of, of um, dealers, we're, we're right. requiring it. Right. But we're not well, required anywhere else. Well, it's, it's a, you got to say
1: it's a carve-out for one specific industry. It just is. Again, I say, why the heck do we got franchise laws? Right. Why do we need to have a license? I mean, I understand the the standard, normal, general business license to set up shop in Mississippi, which is mainly to get you registered so you can pay taxes and for filings, UCC filings. You know the whole deal. So all that makes perfect sense. Everybody has to do that to set up shop in all 50 states, as far as I know. But then having these
4: special set of laws just to govern franchisees, what the heck is that about? They can contract. They can contract as individuals to do that. We shouldn't do well, that Well, sure. I totally agree.
1: Right. I, I, I agree. We got Senator Jeremy England in the, in the Element Well Studios. You can hang around with us today. Certainly. No session today. That's right. Appreciate it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Oh, Will, you're all over it today. <laughs> Man, I remember one of the first actions by President Ronald Reagan when he was elected. I don't know if you guys remember this. He increased the speed limit. He returned it to 70 from 55. It was Carter that pushed it down to 55.
2: That that song was actually written. That's right. He came back, Sammy Hagar came back to the United States from a European tour and was driving down the road in his Ferrari or whatever it was and was going, you know, however many miles it was and got a speeding ticket. And he says, what? He goes, yeah, the speed limit's now 55 everywhere. It was miserable. <laughs> and you know what the purpose was? Save gas? Yeah, because yeah. we were running out
1: of oil in 1976. Oh, any minute, we'll be out. Won't be able to Don't put gas Don't produce more, just <laughs> limit. It was So there, there are actual studies, economic studies, that show that the speed at which goods can be transported to their place of sale to the ultimate consumer, that the faster we can do that, uh, the greater is GDP production, productivity, et cetera. I mean, that makes sense, does it not? The faster you can get those goods around. uh, So just think about if we shipped everything on 20-mile-an-hour rail, how miserable that would be. Yeah and uh, how much that would impede economic activity. So Amazon, as an example, figured out, you know, if we can get a lot of this stuff under one roof close to the end-user consumer... I bet we can make a market out of that, a business out of that. They've done it. It's
2: like that scene at uh, uh, Old Brother We're Out Thou when they go into the general store trying to order stuff, and he goes, it's two weeks. I have to order, it's two weeks. He goes, everything's two weeks. Why does everything take two weeks? (laughs) (laughs) Senator Jeremy
1: England, our guest in the Element Well Studios, we were just talking about HB 401. So I'm honestly, I'm in the camp of I'm not sure whether or not a manufacturer could be granted a license to sell a new vehicle in Mississippi directly to a consumer in Mississippi. I'm not sure if that's possible or not at this point. Senator Sparks says it can. I sure would like to see and this is a question I guess I'd I'd phrase it in the form of a question for you Senator. Is it possible for the legislature to seek an opinion from the Attorney General on a bill before it's been enacted.
4: I, I assume we could. Now, we have peer uh, committee that we can go ask questions to, and they'll look in all of that, and I, I imagine they will go okay. speak with the attorney general. But uh, but this attorney general opinion, which, what was interesting about that, That they came back and said what what Tesla did here in Jackson, which was opened up a wholly owned subsidiary company, Tesla, Mississippi, LLC, I believe. I'm, I'm not sure. That's right. Exactly. But um, the question was sent from um, the automobile uh, association, right? To say, hey, is this is this something they can do? And the the Attorney General's opinion was that we don't see anything that they've done that's out that that is against the law in Mississippi. Present law, present, present law, law. Right. present law. So they so this idea that they're not following current rules, the Attorney General disagrees with that. And look, there wasn't a lawsuit filed. It, right. If they broke the law. We would have we would have seen court action. Well, we didn't see that. We saw legislation introduced to try to prevent them from doing that. And that's what uh, that's what bothers me about it. And it, the other thing that I wanted to make the point of: let's assume they can you can buy online. Okay. Well, well. Tesla may not want to do that. They might want to come put dealerships sure. in some places in Mississippi. Well, this is the same thing as us telling, uh, you know, say you had Bob's video on the on your corner of your neighborhood, and we wanted to protect Bob's video, and we told Netflix, "Hey, Netflix, we we love the idea of you showing movies in Mississippi. You just can't do it online. You can come down here and open a store, you know, or, or open a you know, come use Bob's to, to sell your videos, but don't be, you know, we don't want the consumers in Mississippi to be able to do that, um, and that's silly." And this, this legislation is silly, for the, the same reason. The examples are endless
1: mm-hmm. of uh, similar situations. Uh, you know, Walmart operates corporate-owned stores. The largest employer in the state of Mississippi, by the way, is Walmart. And, and no doubt it had a negative impact on local so-called mom-and-pop-owned uh, stores. It did. Right. But, you know, it, you've got to provide some value to the market. If, if you're providing a value that attracts customers away from Walmart and into your store, then you're going to be fine. But if your value is, well, the government's protecting me, which is what's happening here, with, in my view, with the auto industry, well, that's not value. That's just being protected. A small group in a in a small industry, not a small industry, but um, a, a small industry relative to the entire state's GDP. Mm-hmm. So when you look when you look in that uh, at it from that perspective, what's next? Who, who's next? Or you made a, an example at, with Netflix, right? I mean, the digital economy is here to stay, and it's growing dramatically. And
4: we all have access to virtually every product service known to man in the palm of our hand that's right and, and look senator filling game made an excellent point yesterday he said we you, you know we shouldn't look at it as a badge of honor to be the last and everything and i and it just feels like we're propping up a a a industry or a a model a sales model that's just fading right and we're propping it up and we're gonna we're gonna leave it there as long as possible and and, and look i tried to introduce a, a repealer on this a sunset provision on this this law yesterday for two years so we can come back and look you know, we can look at this and say, look, if Alabama and Louisiana and these other states are opening up, we're going to need to do that pretty quickly, too, or we're going to get left behind. No doubt. And and I couldn't pass that yesterday. And I, I really think what we saw happen in, that, in the chamber yesterday uh, was a lot of my colleagues that were looking at their individual district and looking at their relationships with their individual automobile dealers and how they interact with their community and not looking at statewide policy. Because policy-wise, this just was not a good decision. Yeah, what about the consumers in the state of Mississippi
1: and the citizens of the state of Mississippi? And it's no disrespect to the auto dealers. I have friends that are in that business. They're great people. They operate great businesses. That's right. And I believe they'll continue to thrive and flourish, honestly. And I personally prefer to do business with an auto dealer. I'm not at the point where I'm comfortable uh, doing such a transaction just through online systems. But that's just me. But I don't want to prevent... Uh, those transactions from uh, occurring, right? Uh, uh, and these new routes to market being introduced, we're just getting started. That I mean, what are you going to do? You could be in session a uh, year round to just deal with all
4: these situations. That's right. Well, and you know, if you if you drive through Pensacola, who has a, a Tesla dealership right. in Pensacola? You know what else you see on the interstate? What? All of these other auto deals. Well, sure you do. They're still there. That's how people buy. That's right. It's not, you know, we're, we're, we're saying that we're worried about them going away or that we're worried about their, their, their model being harmed, but it's, it's coexisting in other states.
1: Well, even if we are, it's not the government's role to stand in the way of that. The market figures that out. This is a government saying, we can't let them go out of business because maybe there's a different route to market that consumers prefer. We're telling consumers, I don't care if you prefer it or not, you can't buy it that way in Mississippi. That's, that's right. nuts. That's correct.
4: And look, I'm so glad we have cell phones in our state, and we didn't prop <laughs> up the, you know, the landline telephones or the telegraphs way back when. I'm so glad we didn't do that there. And and you know, uh, again, I know I'm being silly, but, but that's just that's my opinion of what we're doing here on, uh, with this legislation. Well,
1: think about the routes to market of a cell phone, right? Directly from the manufacturer, directly from a manufacturer-owned store, from the telecom carrier, from retailers. There are multiple. That's, right. that's a good thing. That's better for consumers. That breeds innovation, efficiency, agility, competition.
4: I thought we supported all that stuff here in Mississippi. What am I missing here? You know, I think, again, I, I think and I hope we do. I, I, I just don't know that, look, we're in an election year, and and I, I think this bill just hit at a hard time and uh, w- was a hard decision for some folks in, in our chamber to make. And look, the House passed it to us early. They, they shot it on over to the Senate, and we had some, some good, lively debate on it Yesterday. Uh, but, uh, but of course we we voted for the House language and sent it straight to the Governor's desk and we'll see what, what Governor Tate Reeves does with that. Um, yeah. So well, we are. Um, look, I I want everybody to thrive, but
1: I want consumers to have choice. If 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 this were the sale of an illegal product or a product that needed to be tightly regulated, such as drugs, for example, that's that's a different matter in my view. But when you're talking about motor vehicles, they've been around 100 years. I mean, of course, they've evolved through the years, and they will continue to evolve. Um, You know, I I just don't think it makes sense for the government to intervene in this respect. This this is what Democrats do. This is what Joe Biden does. I was also surprised to see, as, as you're aware, Senator, that there were a uh, number of Democrats that also voted nay here.
4: They did. Look, Senator Hilman Fraser. Senator Hilman Fraser sits right behind me. Uh great guy. Yeah. A Democrat. Yeah. Uh, told me he said, Look, I'm I'm voting policy here. He said great. and this is just this is the right policy and so I appreciated his support on that. And his nay vote. Yeah, he and uh, and some others. We'll get to that That's
1: right. if you can stick around. We got some other stuff to talk about. We can do that. Senator Jeremy England is our guest in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. Speedwagon still mad because they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: The Speedwagon. Dang. Which is named after a... A car. A car.
1: <laughs> From Champaign, Illinois. Kevin Cronin. Champaign, Illinois. Right. Really? Uh, they, they started out uh, playing gigs at the university there. Champaign, Illinois. Yep. REO Speedway, Yeah. Founded by the drummer. The band. Alan, I can't remember his last name. He founded the band REO Speedwagon. Look it up. Of course, Kevin Cronin, the uh, lead singer there and the lead guitarist who passed away a few years ago,
4: Gary Richcraft. All kinds of crazy trivia that's worthless, right? But uh, well, it's my I, era, you know. I do appreciate the theme, but, but I'm more of a country guy. So okay. Joe, Joe Diffie is something women like about a pickup man might be more. Oh, there you uh, go, yeah, might be more appropriate. We love Joe Diffie. That's right. All right, Senator Jeremy England, our our guest in
1: the Element Well Studio. So I'll just kind of wrap up the discussion about this EV legislation, and honestly, it's really not even EVs. Right, it's it applies to all new vehicles. That's is that right. correct? It's that's not, correct. It, it I think is being commonly referred to as the Tesla bill and and as affecting EV sales, but I think that's just based on this assumption that we're transitioning to. Electric vehicles.
4: Yeah, no. E- the, the reason EVs are brought up in this is they're the ones that that had this new innovative way of, yeah, of the route to market, their, right? Getting their product to consumers. So, yeah, yeah we're, it, this bill. You know, if this bill didn't pass, we were in no way in Mississippi favoring EVs over gas vehicles sure. or anything like that. And, sure. and I know that kind of got caught up in the mix uh, in politics as it does sometimes. But but we, this was all about policy uh, in the in the free market. Yeah. You're right. So appreciate that and appreciate uh, your vote,
1: honestly, in that regard. You were one of 14 in the Senate who voted against this legislation. uh, And we just talked about there being five Democrats, including Senator Hillman Frazier, Mm -hmm. that sits behind you in the Senate, um, also voted against it. All right. Let's talk about some of the other stuff going on in the state, uh, with this being a pivotal week in the legislature as well. Uh, Lots of bills got killed in committees this week, or this last couple of weeks,
4: really. A little surprising, I think, that not so many went to the floor. Your thoughts? Yeah. No, look, we had – every year we end up with like 4,000 at the beginning uh, when we we get all the bills dropped. And and that gets cut immediately almost to about 400 after each chamber – cuts down their their bills uh through committees um now what we've got this time is we're dealing with house bills and the house is dealing with our senate bills right uh but they there's still some that that don't make it out of committee even on that and that's that's where sometimes it can be surprising you know something that worked folks work so hard to get it through one chamber and then the other chamber they hit a stop sign and 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 their bill gets tossed in the trash until next year the, uh, the ballot initiative bill, the bill that would essentially restore that, allowing
1: the citizens to place a measure on the ballot for a statewide vote. Uh, of course, you know, the House had a bill last year, didn't make it through the Senate. It uh, pretty much kept the signature threshold aligned with uh, prior law uh, that we had. I think 12 percent of those who voted in the last gubernatorial election but it it also uh, allowed the citizens to create or amend statute as opposed to amending the Constitution. It yeah. wouldn't allow that, which is what our old law did. All right, so in the Senate... We get a bill. I believe Senator Tyler McConn, is he the main uh, author of this particular measure.
4: His bill, I think, was the vehicle that we moved forward. Okay. Several, but but yes, yeah, Senator McConnell's uh, bill ended up being the vehicle for the the citizen driven initiative process. Okay, mm-hmm. and that uh, requires a higher signature threshold twelve percent of the registered
1: voters, mm-hmm. which would more than double the number required to qualify a measure for uh, the ballot. Um. But how did you vote on that what do you where do you think that's going to happen on that deal
4: so in the senate i voted to keep the keep the vehicle alive okay. which, which meant we sent a a bill to the house that could be could have been amended uh if it made it through committee we could have it in conference we could still be working on it negotiating now I understand now it, it didn't make it out of committee so we don't have that now this year but uh you know that's a that's a process that deserves our attention and, and it and it deserves maybe the couple of years we're giving it to work itself out, because what we were going to see, um, Gerard, and what what bothered me in these other states that had this process, that that after the Dobbs case they came in and had a citizen-driven initiative to make abortion legal in these states again, mm-hmm. and the and and you can you can drive public sentiment with enough money and with enough ads and with enough talking points, and that's kind of what they they could have done here. And and I just don't want to see that happen here in Mississippi. So I think uh, the Speaker of the House says that he would uh, be
1: in favor of prohibiting that topic from being available to the citizens to place on the ballot. Right. Yeah. So it's restricting the the
4: topic, the subject matter, is essentially what it would do. That's right. And I think we'll end up with it. We need it. Okay. We, we need it, and I think we'll end up with it. It's just not going to be this year, gotcha. unfortunately. Senator
1: Jeremy England has been our guest on the in the Element Well Studios. appreciate Appreciate you coming in there, Senator. Thank Absolutely, Gerard. Thank you. Coming Have right back. Stay with us. Have a back in the Element well Studios hour two of midday Super talk Mississippi on this Friday y'all as Rhino would say he is off today vacationing a bit a much deserved vacation in for him is Will East at the controls playing all that car music while we were talking about the auto bill. The ceasefire text line, of course, is six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. We were talking about the wind that swept through Mississippi earlier this morning. Gusts up to fifty miles per hour, I believe, were reported. Georgia and Oxford sent us a photo that uh, looks like a window blown out. What is that, Georgia? I I can. Uh, can't quite make it out but I see some lumber straddled around the ground there I can't tell what that is but uh, it's a result of the wind that came through uh, Mississippi interesting oh we got Kelly Bennett uh, multimedia journalist super top Mississippi news we got her all connected up now well good to go Kelly how's it going
5: it's going good. I guess the storms that we're dealing with are wreaking some havoc on my internet connection. In fact, I'm looking right now, and the state of Mississippi has got about forty-four thousand plus without power at the due to these high winds. And they've clocked some of them gusts as strong as fifty-seven miles per hour. Wow! At the Jackson-Megger Wiley Evers International Airport earlier this morning. And it's still it's it's really central Mississippi, north central Mississippi, and the Delta area that's getting the worst of it right now. I've looked on, uh, you know, I've, I've been <laughs> been checking out what's going on with Mima, and it looks like all the tornado and severe weather warnings died out for the state around ten o'clock, but. You know those things move pretty fast and furious. So yeah. it, it don't don't quote me on
1: that. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh, it's spring in Mississippi, or pretty close to it. Certainly feels like it today, and appears that way. It's March. The wind is blowing hard, and I'm not aware of any. Did any tornadoes come through the state? Any detected officially? That's
5: what I'm saying. I'm not aware of okay. any at the moment, um, but. You know that could that could obviously change because if we've got forty four thousand residents or homes without power um anything is possible at this moment and it won't have been reported yet necessarily
1: yeah, okay well, we've been talking about legislation here in the state of Mississippi this was a pivotal week of course down at the the legislature as as the chambers consider bills from the respective. Uh, opposite chambers. Senate mm-hmm. takes up the House bills, the House takes up the Senate bills. What do you think about all that this week? What do you, what have you been tracking?
5: Well, you try to track everything, it'll just give you a headache, right? So <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> let
5: me give you some of the bigger ones. We do have one uh, that was actually signed into law Tuesday afternoon, and that was the bill that bans gender-affirming care for trans youth. Yep. Uh, if you're under the age of 18, you won't be able to receive hormone treatments or gender reassignment surgery. That one's already law. Um, we've got some bills that are awaiting the governor's signature. Of course, that's the last step, right? The governor's signature is the last step before something becomes law. Um pretty happy to hear about this one today, a bill that would decriminalize fentanyl test strips is on its way to Governor Reeves, and uh, I don't know what his feelings are on that bill, but I would think that that's a piece of legislation you want to sign right away.
1: Okay. Well, and and so that uh, Mississippi joins a number of other states who have enacted similar legislation, and it's just one of those things that's clearly segregating the states, one of the issues where the, the blue states, states under Democrat control, are going in the opposite direction, making uh, gender reassignment surgery and other care to minors who uh, claim to be experiencing gender dysphoria and seek to change their genders. They're making it more accessible in those states. It's, just, right. it's interesting to watch how that, that plays out here in the country. Uh, We've been talking about the ballot initiative, restoring that, that having been struck down by the state uh, Supreme Court a couple of years ago. Uh, It it
5: looks like that bill's still kind of hanging on by a thread. (laughs) Yeah. Although, you know, if you talk to our lawmakers, they'll tell you until the 2023 session comes to an end, nothing's really dead, dead, dead until it's dead, dead, dead. So. Yeah. You know there are different avenues to kind of bring these things back up. And, you know, there are some things that have come back up that I thought for sure weren't going to pass, and one of those is postpartum yeah. benefits for Medicaid recipients. So, you know, we'll just see what happens on, on some of these. Um, I think it's, I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on, gender reassignment surgery. My empathy really goes to parents that are having these major issues with their children, um, and I just feel like that needs to be between parents and their doctor and their their children. So.
1: Gotcha. Well, uh, it, so it, it looks like, again, Mississippi joins the ranks of those who is prohibiting uh, care for minors mm-hmm. um, at this at this point. Uh, the ballot initiative is one that I, that I find interesting that we just talked about. It looks like it is still alive. Don't know if we'll get an actual law out of that.
3: Right.
1: Um, seems like the Senate and the House are a bit apart. Not sure if that will happen. Uh And then, of course, the postpartum Medicaid has passed out of a House committee, uh, already having passed the Senate, but Mm -hmm. uh, is on the calendar, but has not seen the floor of the House yet. That's the status, is it not?
5: That is the status. And an interesting little side note here, if our state lawmakers don't pass this bill, Mississippi will be the only state left in the United States without postpartum Medicaid extension or full-on
1: Medicaid expansion. Yeah, that's right, because the state of, uh, I believe, Wyoming was the last to extend. Um, And so if a state expanded uh, Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, that, of course, uh, would enable uh, a a mom postpartum to be on Medicaid just as part of expansion uh, if... And so states that did that, 39 states have expanded Medicaid. Mississippi is one of the 11 which hasn't, but of those 11 which has not um, expanded Medicaid, 10 have at least extended postpartum coverage, leaving Mississippi to be the lone state in the country that doesn't have some route for a mom to have Medicaid coverage if they qualify based on income Um, After delivery
5: It's it's really two different issues At this point Like the postpartum issue Has been treated separately From the full-on Medicaid expansion And while we're discussing You know, health There's a Coast Hospital That's announced it's suspending Its obstetrics department Including labor and delivery Starting on April 1st And this is all because Of a lack of OBG. YNs, Singing River Gulfport, made that announcement. Uh, Singing River Health System is a pretty big hospital system, though, on the coast, and they're hoping this is only temporary. They'll be able to reinstate these services down the line, and they're giving employees a 30-day notice, and they'll try to transfer them within the system. They've got several hospitals. Um, Wow. Another big health thing this week that I got kind of excited about, Gerard, was Eli Lilly coming out on their own and announcing a $35 cap on the monthly cost patients face for insulin.
1: Yeah, um, 70% reduction.
5: Yeah, and and we all know, I personally don't have any diabetics in my family, but just to hear those stories about trying to pay for this medication from month to month and how it's up, what is it, 600 percent, 1,000 percent over the past few years or something like that? Yeah. Uh, this was great news. Meanwhile, the state of Mississippi uh, is still involved in an ongoing lawsuit against these insulin manufacturers. Right. That's been joined by 26 other states. Yep. So we'll see how that pans out.
1: Yep, exactly. Interesting stuff for sure. Kelly, thanks for joining us.
5: Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great weekend.
1: You too. We'll talk to you next week. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling.
3: Go. Play it.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs>
1: We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's middays. All righty, we are here. So we got some text here showing some of the wind damage across the state. Carol in Starkville says weather came through around Hospital in Starkville. Not sure if straight line winds, but some roofing and electrical issues now. Wow.
2: Yeah, Incredible. Uh, what is it, 11000 without power, something like that?
1: Yeah, a bunch.
2: Yeah.
1: Incredible. Vicky in Clarksdale. What's that about, Vicky? $500,000. I'm looking at the time. 10-14. Oh, sure. I think
2: we were talking about the Murdoch case. Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, absolutely. I asked him if this bill is truly conservative. That would be when we were discussing the auto- Legislation with uh, Senator England, you know, I think this once again goes back is there's no back to this idea that there's really no consensus um, definition of conservative or liberal or progressive or any of those um, sort of political philosophies anymore. They they've all kind of evolved in different directions, and different people have. Um, sort of attach their own definitions to them, I feel like. And so maybe what's needed is a uh, a party platform, which we have. Parties have that. But again, they, they just morph a little bit, um, sometimes more than a little bit in practice and in execution in government. And I certainly understand that it's not, an easy job, obviously you're not going to appease everyone, and you shouldn't expect that. And I don't think anyone is requesting that. Um, I happen to think this legislation really flies in the face of free market economic principles, and that while I think it may provide some short-term relief to a small segment of the Overall economy, certainly in the num- from the number of people perspective, it um, I think it's harmful to the state's citizens at large. I think the, the citizens should have as many choices and opportunities to to um, engage in economic activity as the market will provide them and present to them, and let them make those decisions and. Anytime I hear, Will, the government saying, we got to do this to protect you, I just I, – I really – I'm skeptical. Often that concept of protection, in fact, harms me. And you see this at the federal level regularly, especially when you introduced all sorts of um, ideological political agendas. Gas stoves comes to mind. Now there's um, – oh. They, there's been kind of a revival of that, of um, that issue, at the uh, Federal Trade Commission. They're looking further into this, and they're they're looking to totally ban, across the country, use of gas stoves. This thing kind of died because of the backlash when it was first floated to the public. What four six weeks ago? Now it's back on the radar. It
2: did. So what you see is you see a official proposed the idea, well, we should ban gas stoves because of this, that, and the other. And then, you know, there will be a backlash. And then you'll start seeing articles pop up here and there and there and they're saying, well, you know what, really it's the gas stoves are a terrible thing for the environment or your health <laughs> or whatever it may be. And really, you know, the the electric stoves are probably cheaper in the long run, you know, and you start seeing this and this and this and this. So when they go to present it in front of Congress or talk about it on talk shows, they can say, well, you know, the Atlantic did a story. Well, the New York Times did a story where they found this, that, and the other. That's what you see. Unbelievable. That's the cycle of it.
1: Well, um, as I recall, it was a study conducted by Stanford of 53 households. That's it? Yeah. That was the source for this. That was the the catalyst for pursuit of um, this legislation. It's incredible so uh also wanted to pass on that I have a, a friend that listens to the show regularly that was uh whose family was long time automobile dealer in Mississippi in fact, I bought some cars from him um and he, he informs me that GM, because of their national agreements, can only sell through a franchise dealership except for the federal government as an exception, as a customer. So they sell direct to them. That's not unusual in franchise agreements to to protect the franchisee. Usually they'll protect their, uh, their physical market. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll, they'll give them an exclusive for a certain geographic area, so they basically promising in the franchise agreement we won't authorize another franchisee that sells the same product lines within certain distance okay. of uh, where you're located. And that, that varies, as you can imagine, based on population yeah. density. It makes sense. Th- those are common aspects of franchise agreement. I happen to know a little bit about this because I signed a franchise agreement and I paid for a franchise. But I can tell you, it provided no geographic protections. Not only that, the manufacturers back in those days IBM, Compaq, Epson, Okidata, I can't even think of all of them WordPerfect, Software, Lotus, these were the kinds of Systems we were selling back in those days and a number of other Hayes modems back when we used modems. I don't, you probably don't remember this. I knew the guy, Dennis Hayes. He basically is the one that invented the PC modem in Norcross, Georgia and made a fortune selling modems when that was the only way you could connect to the outside world was through a Hayes modem using a dial up line. 300 baud, 300 bits. Per second bits, not bites. Bits, about eight hundred bucks. About this big, about a foot long or so, two inches high. Bunch of lights on it, and you'd hear the familiar analog connection. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, it. But all I'm saying is that they they gave you no exclusive territories, and they also didn't guarantee we won't sell direct. We won't sell through mail order. We won't. It, the car dealers have had it made in, from the standpoint that the uh, legacy manufacturers have have been very generous to them with respect to their and protective of them. I think that's great, and uh, I wish just wish we'd have had it. We didn't. We had to figure out a way to to sell our value to the market because you weren't getting any protection from your franchisor, from the manufacturers, from the government. Free for all, but you know what happened as a result? We don't have modems anymore, right? Because right, yeah. because we opened up and we allowed the creativity of human beings to create all these unbelievably innovative products, and uh, and that just launched whole new industries. Who would have thought back in 1986 we'd be operating a data center and selling cloud services before the term was invented yeah. in 2000s when I started that. So. Who saw that? And, wow, tremendous opportunity over selling Hayes modems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I've watched the evolution of that in the most dynamic, most rapid-changing industry on the planet.
2: Do you know anybody that's bought a vehicle directly from a manufacturer like I, a Tesla? Is I it,
1: personally don't.
2: I know one person One person in my life that has bought a vehicle directly from the manufacturer. It's a Tesla, in fact, Okay. a friend of mine. Uh, it took... I think it took about four months for him to get it.
1: Okay, and what's their experience been like?
2: They, they like he liked it. Yeah, he, he enjoyed it. Knew what he was getting into. Sure, a younger person though, who's sure. a techie, yep. right? Works yep. in IT in um, some respect, and so kind of interested in that. The average person out there, that it ain't for them, right? But especially nowadays with vehicles. They're so complicated. They do so many things. Even the most basic vehicle nowadays. Yep. Backup camera. You know, you got all this technology in these vehicles, and so you almost need a dealer, if you're a consumer, to kind of help you with some of this stuff, and inevitably stuff goes wrong. So it's not for most people. That's right. So there is a value with the dealership, but that doesn't mean that you need to protect them.
1: Right. And And if a customer, if a consumer, consumers are smart. Not only that, if the Teslas, the Apples, Rivians, Lucids of the world, if if uh, the route to market of selling direct to the consumer doesn't meet their revenue expectations, they won't do it. I mean, it's just simple as that. They'll they'll discontinue that model and they'll find uh, other routes to market. But it, I don't think it's incumbent upon the government or the responsibility of government to prohibit. The consummation of those transactions. That's all. I agree. It's not for me. It's not for a lot of consumers, but I think this is true, Will. You talked about it being a young, more technically savvy person. As time goes on, the next generations, they're going to want to do everything with these phones that I'm holding up right here. They already are! Coming right back on middays from the Element Well Studios.
0: days with Gerard Gibbett on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: That's Frankie and the Knockouts. That was from the all hit request line. Thank you for that, Will.
2: Now I will say this: looking at a picture of Frankie and the Knockouts, not exactly any knockouts on the uh, <laughs> the roster there. Some nice hair though. Well, it was 1981. 1981, the year in which
1: I betrothed my wife. <laughs> we used to listen to that song and enjoy it.
2: Frankie and the Knockouts. We were
1: Engaged at the time when it was popular, "Frankie and the Knockouts." It's a great tune. <laughs> I'm
2: not familiar with them. I want to check them out. Yeah,
1: that's a great tune. Now aren't you glad you played it? It's got a great
2: intro. You, I tell you, you learn new artists. <laughs> I tell you, what two things I learn every single week? Yeah. Okay, working here. Yep, is I learn a new artist every week because Perez has always got some music yeah. that I've never heard of before. From usually a lot of times from artists that I'm familiar with, but it might be new music that I've never heard of that's ancient, or maybe a song that I've heard before but it's by an artist I've never um, not familiar with. Yeah, the other thing I learn is I learn a new town name hmm. in Mississippi every single week. Without fail, I will find a town that I've I've lived here all my life. I will find a town that I've never heard of that town. This week, it was Bunker Hill, Mississippi. Yeah. I've seen that somewhere on the roadside. Well, Jeff Bates, who um, is on with Steve Azar again today, Mm -hmm. from Bunker Hill, Mississippi. Did not know there was a Bunker Hill, Mississippi. Uh, uh, Well, where is it? Because I I think it's in Marion County.
1: Okay. Maybe that's where I've seen it.
2: The other we had since we had bad weather. When you watch the weather forecasts and you see, you know, the storms hitting this That's area, true. you learn towns and areas. I, there are towns and areas that, in my home county, that I had never heard of.
1: Yeah, the uh, very sophisticated, very precise radar. Yeah, that is available today. You're right. Has um, like communities exactly. that are labeled on the maps that you watch. You're right about that. I agree with you on that. Now I've seen some like I didn't know that even existed. I've commented that way to my wife before when watching Where those. is that? I've never I know. heard of that. Really, really cool. Uh Keith and J. S. says, yes, Marion County north of Columbia. Thanks for that, Keith. Yeah. You're right. Donna in Mendon Hall, it's in Marion County outside of Columbia. And I suspect you're right. You could you could identify many more. I would agree with you definitely on the weather uh, broadcast when we got bad weather coming yeah. in, and that consumes all the television broadcast local television stations. I agree with you on that. Like, what is that when they put <laughs> that on there? Very cool. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, which by the way is six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. I'm an old Radio Shack manager digging the lingo. We were talking about Hayes modems and some of the uh, early days of of PCs and
2: Radio Shack. Yeah, handy computers,
1: yeah. right? The uh, the TRS-80, uh, commonly commonly referred to as the Trash 80, is what they used to call it.
2: <laughs> and I remember going into a Radio Shack, and you could just, if if it was a good one, you could just tell the person what you were trying to do, and they would. You need this, and you need this, and you need this part, <laughs> this cables cable, and this wire. cable. You, do a, you connect them all together. Eventually, you get what you're supposed to get.
1: They, you know, I miss those days. A you know, because now everything company. is,
2: you know, it's a lightning cable or it's an HDMI right. cable, and that's it. But used to, you had all these different
1: Oh, you deals. know, we shouldn't have allowed them to make sell lightning cables in the Mississippi. You put the radio shacks <laughs> out of business. It's the same thing. It really, truly is. I know. And once again... And the folks out there, if they're listening, know this. I have deep respect and, and great relationships, I feel like I do, with all these these members of our legislature who voted uh, for this legislation. It's, it's nothing personal, and they know that. I just disagree with it. And I've this is an opinion show, and I've shared my opinion on it. And uh, we've had folks on the program to share theirs as well. Whether or not uh, the governor will sign it, I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it. But based on the numbers, if he did, and those numbers held constant in the House and Senate, any such veto would be overridden. Hmm. Speaking of vetoes, well, it looks like we may see the first veto out of the White House.
2: What is he vetoing?
1: Well, this would be on... Uh, another piece of legislation, well actually not a piece of legislation and pardon me, uh, on a really bad rule enacted um, at the agency level, which dictates how investors allocate capital on behalf of their their customers, their investor customers, Which, uh, where they say that they've got to take into consideration the environmental social governance policies and efforts by the companies in which they invest. So essentially, rather than just discharging their fiduciary responsibility, which is what it is known as for an investment manager, a wealth manager, a pension fund manager, etc., Rather than uh, adhering to traditional fiduciary policy, which says you invest in a way that generates the most return for the investors, no, the, um, the Joe Biden's administration wants them to invest in such a way where they are considering these more social activist efforts in place in these companies. So... That could mean, and in fact now statistics do bear out, that those companies that are highly focused on environmental and social and and governance uh, efforts produce less return, lower returns, than companies that are more focused on serving the market and maximizing profit. So what that means to an investor, if you've got, let's say, uh, some firm that's managing your 401k plan, If they're allocating your capital the way Joe Biden wants them to, you're going to get less money returned to your investment. It's just simple as that. And so really a bit surprising that the Senate voted after the House already passed a measure to overturn the Biden administration's action here. The Senate voted 50-46, they peeled off a couple of Democrats to get to that number, I think Tester and Manchin, that disagreed with, yet yeah, it was, it was Tester and Manchin disagreed with, um, with Biden's policies here. And so it is expected that Biden's going to veto this, veto it, meaning that the policies implemented by his administration requiring or certainly allowing Um, investment managers to invest um, consistent with the ESG efforts of a company rather than are they producing uh, maximum profit, which is, uh, of course, generates and optimizes returns uh, produced for the investor. This is crazy. So Joe's basically investing your retirement account. That's what it boils down to. He's telling you how... You have to invest your money. You don't uh, have the complete 100% um, authority over that because these investment managers, and see, this really affects big-time retirement systems, state retirement systems. Like PERS. Like PERS, yeah. So our state treasurer has been very clear, David McRae, that in, um, in investing the state's money, and, in, and he also serves on the board of PERS, that they have not followed the Biden policies of investing in accordance with ESG uh, focus by these companies, but rather f- investing in companies that produce the most return for the taxpayers, in the case of PERS, and uh, individuals. Um, and, of course, the state's money as well, which uh, is, is spent and invested and placed with investment managers. Wow so this reversed a move made by the Trump administration in 2020 which made it harder for traditional 401k plans to put ESG investments in their portfolio of, of options. If you go look at your 401k um, system if you log on and, and you you want to uh, make some changes and modify the way or dictate to, the 401k manager, how your money is invested, you'll see some options on there for making sure that so much of your your holdings are allocated to those companies that are focused on ESG as opposed to companies that are focused on making a profit, maximizing profit. Yeah, so it's expected that Biden's going to veto this thing. He wants to tell you Americans how to invest your money. Once again, it is um, ideology over common sense, just practical economics and finance. That's what's going on here. Wow. I hate it. I got to talk about these CHIPS Act requirements when we come back. We touched on that yesterday, didn't get to it, ran out of time. I think you'll be a little surprised at what Biden is saying these companies have to do to receive uh, these grants. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Badfinger, great group.
0: Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. The Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
1: in the element. Well,
2: Studios, it's an all-car day. Well, this was, this was by accident. Uh, I was trying to find your Raspberry song that okay. you requested.
1: You can't find it?
2: I I, I got it. I just didn't okay. have time to put it in. But, you know, this is one of the few songs that's ever been played in space. Really? Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, there are not many trips to space, so it's not, not many a, trips a short to space. list. Uh,
2: this song, I think Chuck Berry had a song. It's on that uh, the disc that they sent on the, uh, what was this space probe they just sent out that's still going? I can't remember it. And they sent a disk with certain pieces of human
1: oh, culture. Yeah. Chuck
2: Berry was one of them. But uh, Radar Love, I can't remember the exact story, but Radar Love was, uh, you know, they sent one of these things to the to Mars, the rover or whatever it is, and they would send information to it, you know, to do certain things. Right. And the rover one day died. They couldn't, they were sending information, it wasn't responding or anything. And somebody somebody at NASA uh, sent a radar love sound to it, that that iconic opening sound to it. And somehow the rover woke up when it heard radar love and it started communicating again. <laughs> so that's the story behind cool. it. I
1: know spirit in the sky. Spear was on Scott. Apollo
2: thirteen. Apollo thirteen. Yeah, yeah. very associated. It's popular
1: with at the it. time. It was a popular tune. A very good tune. Yeah. By the way, I did look up that uh, "Sweetheart" by Frankie and the Knockouts that you played.
2: Yeah.
1: It actually hit number ten on the charts in the spring of uh, nineteen eighty-one. Really? Yeah, just before I got married. Really? In, yeah, in July of nineteen eighty-one. I was in California a at the time working. Working out there in the desert, and I know I've talked about that before, traveling 40 miles every day through Kern County. Kern County. Kern County, California. It uh, is a gigantic county. I want to say it's like a third the size of the state of Mississippi. And when I was living out there, the locals maintained that a large component of the nation's uh vegetable and fruit agriculture was produced in that county. I know over, as far as you could see it was uh, oranges and lemons, avocados um, tomatoes unbelievable in the desert really? evidently the soil is very fertile it didn't rain much and it's the first time I'd ever seen these giant um, rolling irrigation systems. And they pulled it out of the California aqueduct, the water supply. That's where it came from. Because in the summer, it's 115 where I was.
2: I was going to ask, in the desert, doesn't it get really hot during the day and really cold at night?
1: Not really cold at night, but it, it cools down when the sun goes down because there's so little humidity. Yeah. But the avocados, I like avocados. And the migrant farm workers, many of whom were illegal, that would work the fields for the farmers there, and they would allow them to take some of the surplus crop and sell it to produce income for them and their families. And they would be lined up just outside of town where the agriculture started, literally where I was in Bakersfield, California. You you know, you drive two miles out, maybe less than that, boom, you're in the middle of these fields, which is just as far as you can see because it's flat and there are no mountains or no trees. And they would be lined up on the two-lane road there in station wagons. With the tailgate down, with a sign, "Avocados, basket of five, fifty cents," and they were gigantic. (laughs) They never made those. Never made it this far. Uh, They kind of got filtered out. Then that closer to where they were produced, you know. But yeah, they had plums, lemons, huge lemons, fresh out in the desert. Out in the desert, absolutely, forty miles from where I lived to where I worked, I could see it in the foothills. It's literally called Elk Hills, California. Hmm. The Tule elk, T-U-H-L-E. They roamed the foothills there, which formed the valley where all the agriculture was. It's the site of, you're too young to remember this, the medfly. There was an outbreak of this pest that they couldn't control that literally was consuming the crop, the fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. and there was a huge shortage nationwide. Heck, that was in the 70s, I think, mid 70s. The Mediterranean fly, I think is what it's called. Isn't that crazy? That's wow. The med fly. I, I bet if we looked it up, you'd see a
2: whole bunch of stories. They eventually got it.
1: Yeah, they or figured whatever. out a way to control it. I'm sure whatever they used, you couldn't use today.
2: <laughs> just, just, it's a likely <laughs> prospect. <laughs> Well, we got it under control. That's well, we got important. it under control.
1: But yeah, so you know the sorts of shortages we're dealing with today in the grocery stores. Well, that happened back then too. It's forty years ago. Coming right back, we got uh, Super Talk News, Fox News coming up. But a whole nother hour of midday. Stay with us. <laughs>
2: That's a song I have heard that song of many times. You have. Yeah, many times. And I did a little research. You know who's singing that song? The lead singer.
1: I know I should know this. Go ahead.
2: I'll give you a hint. He was all by himself one time. Well, that could all be. All by myself. Uh, Eric Carmen.
1: Eric Carmen, and uh, who? Um, there's one other tune he did. I thought,
2: Hang, uh, "Hungry Eyes."
1: That's it, yep. from uh, "Dirty Dancing." Was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. That's right, Eric Carmen. Thank
2: you. Yes, I had to look all that up. I did not know that. Hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when you listen carefully,
1: you can detect that's yeah. his voice. Yeah, good group though. Good that, tune. That
2: song it, it's been really popular recently because uh, of the Guardians of the Galaxy. It was on the soundtrack of Didn't Guardians of the Galaxy, one. which is. I've got both the albums, the vinyl albums. I've got Volume 1 and Volume 2, and it is phenomenal. And it was one of the first albums my wife bought me after she bought me a turntable a few years ago. Yeah. And it is amazing to hear. Yeah. Well,
1: we just don't have bands like that anymore. Just, you know... You don't. Folks that came together that played various instruments and... And uh, had vocal talents and put all that together, arranged it, composed it. Now we got more individuals. We don't have, like, group. As many. doesn't seem like. Yeah. We just played traditional instruments that I find pleasing to the ear. That's what it's all about. It's the purpose of music, of course.
2: That's a great song.
1: I told you. Yeah. Stick with me here, Will.
2: you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Appreciate that, though. So... There's a question allowed or required with respect to ESG investing, says Jack in Jacktown. Yeah, let me be clear. If I if I was, and it doesn't does it require fiduciaries, investment managers, wealth managers, it doesn't require them to invest. Uh, with consideration of environmental, social, and governance efforts on the part of companies that uh, that they invest in, when they're picking investments, it's just it allows them to. Now, why does it allow them to? What does that mean? Well, a fiduciary would be a third party that is is managing and has responsibility for managing and investing. A, a person's money. could be an organization's money. Or it could be an individual. But they are required to do so in such a way um, that they are maximizing returns on investment, ROI, on the money that has been entrusted to them. They have what's called a fiduciary responsibility. So what The Labor Department, I thought it was the FTC, I was wrong about that, it was the the Labor Department, what that rule that they released says is, hey, look, guys, you investment managers, you administrators of these pension funds and investors on behalf of corporate 401k plans, etc., you don't have to maximize returns on investments made on monies that you manage for others you don't have to do that you can you can invest in a way that you think is more socially responsible which means you may not produce the best returns maximum returns you may not have a focus on that for your clients and that's okay as long as it's it meets the test of environmental social governance factors that's what it that's what the rule allows is them not to act in your best financial interest so the house and the Senate passed legislation surprisingly with the aid of two Democrat senators in the Senate for sure that says that sends it now to the president says, you got to reverse this rule. You cannot allow these fiduciaries to invest based on ESG factors. They must continue with the traditional rule of your job is to maximize returns for those uh, clients whose money you are managing. And it is expected that Biden is going to veto that. It's basically, it's an investment manager acting as as a social justice activist as opposed to, without regard to that, to those outside non-financial uh, factors. Without regard to that, they can invest money such that you may not get maximum return, but you got to feel good about what you're doing for, I don't know, equity. <laughs> Stuff like that. That's what it says. So these companies that have these giant sub-organizations and departments within them that are engaged in these woke diversity, equity, and inclusion policies as opposed to the policies that produce goods and services that serve society. Something that I just thought about, Well, I read this a couple of days ago. You've got uh, the student loan situation, right, that the Supreme Court is hearing. We don't expect a ruling on that soon, but they're hearing arguments from the states who have sued the Biden administration on the premise, the legal theory that the President doesn't have the exclusive authority to just wipe out four hundred billion of loans. You know, when you look at what's driven up the cost of college, which is through the roof, everybody knows that? There I don't think there's an institution in the country, an institute of higher ed, that doesn't have a significant number of staff working in some diversity, equity, and inclusion capacity. You agree with that? You've seen Absolutely. that all over the place. There are more DEI employees at the University of Michigan than history professors. Think about that for a minute.
2: A major, major, major. large university.
1: Second or third largest, perhaps, in the country.
2: And they have more
1: more DEI staff than history professors. If that doesn't show you how the focus has changed and how the mission of these organizations has been hijacked by social justice activism, as opposed to, oh, I don't know, educating your students... What do you want to bet that the cost of those staff, and I don't know how many they have, but I bet it's significant. What do you want to bet the average pay of those staff is quarter million a
2: year. Yep. Columbia University, did you see this? What's that? One of the premier universities in the nation, Ivy League School. They are getting rid of requirements for prospective undergraduate students. You don't have to take the SAT or the ACT anymore. And why? Equity. Because their applicants
1: that score the best on those exams don't fit nicely within their their little equity efforts, the racial composition that they seek, which is discrimination. It's just another example of the march to mediocrity that's why I'm with Vivek Ramaswamy, who wants to end affirmative action in the federal government, and who said, we've got to return to the ideals, the principles, that set this great experiment in motion and produced the greatest nation ever on the face of the planet, which is free speech. Free speech is at, is at the top of that list. Obviously, you see that every day. Threatened this march to mediocrity, this this um, uh, this move to make um, non-performance, non-value factors front and center, and at the top of the list in determining outcomes, hiring people, admitting students, promotion, pay, etc., and then the unapologetic pursuit of excellence unapologetic pursuit of excellence where would this country be today if we didn't unapologetically pursue excellence do our dead level best to produce and give back for to society based on the tools god blessed us with what they're saying is with all these dei efforts is no none of that matters All that matters is the color of your skin and your ethnicity and your economic background and your gender and all these other sort of what-you-are attributes rather than who you are. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us.
0: this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need news. to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Now
5: when I was a young boy
3: at the age of five my mother's child gonna be
1: Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear part two of an interview with hit singer, songwriter, and Mississippi native Jeff Bates, who is from Bunker Hill, as you told us earlier. You'll hear about his journey from being found as an abandoned infant all the way to his music career, where he topped the Billboard charts until his fall into drug addiction and his current road to sobriety. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, Supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. We had a listener on the C text line that said that they heard it, said it was awesome, worth listening to. Yeah. I heard about half of it yesterday. Yeah, it's very good. Pretty
2: powerful story from um, Mr. Bates. Yep. I mean, just the the roller coaster. I mean, from being found on a literally on a doorstep with cigarette burns as an infant, Yeah, being the top of the charts, to being arrested, drugs, mm. bottom, bottom out, and now trying to climb back up again. Awesome. Incredible story.
1: Steve's really good at uh, talking to folks about their, their true-life experiences like that yeah. and really getting them to, to fully tell the story. He's, he's awesome at that. Paint the picture. All right, so I, I've been talking about getting to these uh, regulations surrounding the CHIPS Act, and if I uh, just keep putting it off, my apologies for that. Let's talk about that. Little background, the CHIPS Act, C-H-I-P-S. I don't know what the heck the acronym stands for. <laughs> But,, um, as you can imagine, this was a bill that was signed by President Joe Biden that that establishes a significant hefty grant program for chip manufacturers. We're talking about computer chip, digital chips, silicon chip manufacturers. The concern, of course, is that much of that manufacturing has been moved abroad. And uh, was it too long ago, Will, we were talking quite a bit about the shortage of chips affecting so many
2: of the products that we buy, such as automobiles, which are full of chips? Absolutely. I mean, who can remember? It was, what, 21 kind of after the pandemic uh, lockdowns had kind of passed and, you know, the supply chain had not quite – gotten back up still hasn't in some respects yeah but all but cars that was a big thing you drive by dealerships and stuff and you wouldn't see any cars or it'd take months to get a car in some cases i know one person that waited over a year to buy a vehicle
1: unbelievable and and what they were all reporting is we've got all the components necessary to build this vehicle the factories but we can't get the chips so they're just sitting here waiting for chips all right so a lot of that is because it comes from the pacific rim which imposed m- much more draconian lockdown rules than we did here in this country. And the factories were just closed. Yep. Okay, so Joe Biden says, well, we're going to just put up this big old federal grant program. Of course, the solution to every problem in, in the minds of Democrats is more money. Put more money in it. More, more money, money in it. We don't have it, but that's okay. We'll just print it and add to the debt, and that'll boost inflation, and it- it'll work out. So they come up with this idea to to set this grant program up for chip manufacturers. If you'll build a factory here in the good old U.S. of A., we'll give you some money to help out. $500 billion. $500 billion in the CHIPS Act. Now, that's a measure that uh, does require 60 votes in the U.S. Senate to overcome any filibuster to pass the chamber, send it to the president. So, in this case, it got all the Democrats. It was the 50-50, as you recall, Senate Democrat Republicans prior to the midterms. It it uh, increased in favor of the Democrats after that, but so you got to have some Republican votes. Eighteen, it was either seventeen or eighteen, voted for the Chips Act, including our Senator Roger Wicker from Mississippi. So the Commerce Department, okay, they release. Their application that a manufacturer must complete if they intend to seek some federal funds for the purpose of building a factory here in the US. Well, of course, we've always got to introduce all this social justice stuff and engineering that's got going to be attached to any federal money. All right. So here's what they said, did the Commerce Department. If you want $150 million or more, you've got to, Mr. Factory, guarantee affordable, high-quality child care for your workers who build or operate the plant. Build it and operate it. Got to have child care. You've also got to share a portion of any unanticipated profits. With the government. Unanticipated profit. Unanticipated, meaning, okay, well if you hadn't have done this, your profit would have been X. But since you did this and we gave you money to do this, your profit is some multiple of X. Well, whatever that multiple is, you gotta share that with the government. Hmm. It's It's kind of a sideways windfall profits tax, is what it is, in essence. And you know, Biden and the Democrats love them windfall profits taxes. Can't have profit! And the Commerce Department, in its initial guidance, says you have to share any, quote, upside, end quote, profits. They say this is a a way to encourage companies to make their projections as accurate as possible. Because in exchange for this money, you got to provide all sorts of financial reporting to the government, beyond just the standard reporting you submit to the SEC as part of being a public company. And preference will be given to applicants who promise to refrain from stock buybacks. You know, they hate stock buybacks. They hate them. Schumer's even said it. I hate stock buybacks. And most recently, in the Inflation Reduction Act, recall, the uh, government imposed a 1% stock buyback tax. So they're saying you can't buy any stock back. In other words, if you want to take some action as you see fit in running your company to boost returns to your equity investors who risk their money, to help you grow your business, you can't do it. Because those people may actually see an increase in the stock price, which may boost their 401k plans or their portfolios. We can't have that. Oh, it just aggravates me. It galls me to no end. And the law, of course, prohibits companies from directly using federal money to finance stock buybacks or pay dividends. I'm okay with that, honestly, because... It is taxpayer money, and if you're going to accept taxpayer money, you, the, the government have, should have some purview over that. But what I'm concerned about is, you knew this was a joke. You knew this was a bad bill. I, I did, and I ta- and I called it out. I'm disappointed that so many Republicans voted for it, the 17 or 18, to enable it to pass. I'm disappointed in that. It was bad from the get-go because we don't have $500 billion. When do we ever say no? When do we ever stop? When do we ever say, geez, we got $31 trillion in debt. We're running $1.5 trillion deficits. We're going to have to take a pass on this one, just like you do when you run your house. Sorry, honey, we can't afford that this month. We're going to have to wait. We've got to accumulate some money. We never do that in the federal government. There's no dime they can't spend. Whether we have it or not, irrelevant. Oh, don't worry about that. The Treasury will whip up some more money. they just print it. Oh, that adds to the debt? No problem. It's $31 trillion headed to 50 according to the CBO, in 10 years. And about the stock buyback, you know, that went into effect this year when the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. It garnered no Republican support. I've got to be fair in that respect. But that was one of the taxes that was to produce revenue to pay for Joe's Green New Deal subsidies. That was all built into the Inflation Reduction Act. Otherwise, it would have to receive 60 votes in the Senate to pass. But it comes out as so-called budget neutral. Well, that's a crop. None of them are ever budget neutral. Because the revenues never come in as they projected, and the expenses always are higher than they expected. That's exactly what's happening with the Stock buyback tax. So guess what Joe says? The stock buyback tax, pardon me, portion of that. Joe says, we're going to have to raise the tax. It's only 1%. got to take it to 4 Sure did, this week. Because guess what? Companies are figuring out a way to do without it. They're working around it, you fool. That's why they're multi-billion dollar companies. They're pretty smart. You're not, Joe. You don't know anything about this stuff. You've never signed the front of a check. You've been living off the government your entire life. It's despicable what they do. It just aggravates me. Get the hell out of the way. People are hurting. Get out of the way. Bring prices down. Produce more. You don't care about the GDP. You just care about your woke causes. Coming right back on midday. Stay with us. Wait,
3: well, you know, I know you don't know.
1: We are back in the Element Well Studios.
2: I wonder if Pete Buttigieg is singing this song right here. <laughs> Train kept a rolling all night long.
1: What a pathetic excuse that guy is for Secretary of the Transportation. Uh, again, march to mediocrity. Only appointed to that position, named to that role by Joe Biden. I think because he's gay. I really do. Had nothing to do with his qualifications because he was not qualified.
2: Joe Biden attacked him on the campaign trail for not being able to fill potholes in. Where's he from? Peoria or
1: something like that? Uh,
2: Indiana, somewhere. South
1: Bend? Is it South Bend?
2: Yeah, I think Peoria it's South Bend. is Illinois. I think it was South mayor of South Bend. Bend. Yeah, I think that's mayor right. Mayor Pete, as they called him. <laughs> uh, but Joe Biden attacked him on the campaign trail, said he couldn't fill potholes. Unbelievable. And, uh, yeah. Oh, Joe. Uh, on the ceasefire text line,
1: uh, let's see here at a couple of things. Bob in Itawama said, "Easy, big guy, easy." I know. I apologize. I I appreciate you indulging me. I, I get fired up about this because it it's just it's stuff that's so bizarre to me that it it is not understood, or maybe it is understood, which I honestly don't think it is by the people making all these rules and all these laws and all these regulations because there's these are people that have never taken the risk required to produce something in the private sector and they're they're so much more obsessed with and consumed with their ideology in the case of ESG oh yeah we've got to invest in accordance with ESG and we can't let those companies buy any stock back Like, you have the hubris. That's what bothers me the most. You have the hubris, the the temerity, the arrogance, the pomposity to think that you could ever, ever operate one of these giant corporations from Washington and with your zero skills. It's just mind-boggling to me. We know better. We've got to tell you how you can manage your your equity portfolio and your your stock it's crazy your shares your float that's that's bizarre to me it's insane no you don't it's there there where do we get to the point where profit pursuit of excellence has been so demonized so vilified without profit there are no jobs, there's no economy, there's no country, there's no world. How can they not see that? I don't apologize for the pursuit of profit when that's done in a responsible way, of course, in, in a non-abusive, fair way, in in one where commitments and contracts are abided and adhered to. That's all that's needed. But the government thinks they've got to introduce themselves and insert themselves in the midst of all this economic activity. It's Joe saying, "Oh, they were going to need oil and gas for at least ten years," and then he scolds the oil and gas industry for not increasing their investment in producing more. Well, Joe, you said we only needed ten years. They're not going to make investments in assets in projects that have a 15-year payback. They'd go bankrupt if they made such decisions, it's a concept with which, of course, Joe and his Democrat cohorts are unfamiliar. They don't understand that. Therefore in my view, they're not qualified to make these sorts of regulations. Like, we got we got to increase that stock buyback percentage they're they're buying back stock and don't seem to mind doing it. He he mainly targeted by the way the oil and gas companies who just experienced record years because of his policies. It's his policies that have reduced supply. That have constrained supply. Therefore the price goes up and therefore they make more money. You're the one that made them more profitable. It's your policies. Now you're mad because they're using that money to buy stock back, to reward those who hung in there with them during the lean times when they were losing money back during the pandemic, who stayed in there with them and invested in their equity. Now they're rewarding them by buying back stock to boost the stock price. That's how it works. It's called risk-reward. It ain't hard to figure out the concept with which they're not familiar because they're more about equity, where everybody's got to be equally miserable, where everything reverts to the common denominator of mediocrity. What you just say? They're they're getting rid of standardized tests? I felt like this was coming for years. You're going to see within five years, there won't be any more standardized tests to get into college. won't be any. We'll be lucky if we can hang on to just the basics of grading. Even
2: now, that's under attack.
1: It's under attack. I think even at Ole Miss, there's a group of professors that said, you know what, you don't like your grade, first go around, just keep taking the test till you get the right grade. You seen that?
2: No, I haven't.
1: Oh, yeah. Reimagining grading.
2: When I hear the word reimagine, when I hear, hear the word systemic, <laughs> the 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 antenna goes up, Gerard, because that you know it's some... You know what coming at you? I know. Hold on to your your wallet. Reimagine.
1: Reimagine. What is this we got from uh, Tim from Tupelo? Pentagon tells service members to stop displaying giant U.S. flags at major events. It's so sick of all this junk, this wokeness in our military. I will say, Roger Wicker did go to the floor yesterday, delivered a uh, an excellent speech. I thought, uh, blasting the Biden administration's woke infiltration of our military. He's right. It puts the nation and the world at risk. We need the military. We need them to be ready to win wars. God forbid we should have one, but more importantly, to deter war. That's the main purpose of having a strong military, one that's focused on winning a war should you challenge this great country foes. But when we send these kinds of messages like you can't display a flag. Now I don't know all the details on that. but I, I'm reading po-
2: about it right now. Yeah, uh, In a February 10th memo to its public affairs offices the Department of Defense said that having service members carry the U.S. flag horizontally or land it on the ground after a parachute jump is no longer acceptable. Oh my gosh. So you know when they unfurl the flag at like the Super Bowl Yep. You know, yeah, the big yeah, flag yeah. and the yeah. arrow, people they, standing around. Yeah, Because it may touch the ground, they say, you can't do that anymore.
1: Okay. That ain't the reason. I'm not buying that. Yeah, I don't that. think
2: that's the reason.
1: I'm not buying that. These are people who are embarrassed, I feel like, to be an American. Isn't that what Michelle Obama said? Oh, for the first time in my life, I'm proud to be an American. some point during... Barack Obama's presidency. Larry Amaya says, damn, Gerard, you sounded a little militant. I'm proud of you. And I appreciate that, Larry. I I get passionate about these subjects, especially these economic policies that emanate from the Democrats, from the liberals, from the left, because it's, it's people that have never walked, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong, folks. It's certainly not intended to. You need to walk in my shoes. And those like me, who risked everything to form a business, to hire people, create wealth, create value for society, it's hard. Is there a possibility of being rewarded? Absolutely. But you know what you got to do? Serve the market. You get rewarded for serving your fellow man. Imagine that concept. The more value you create and the more people who receive that value... The higher are the rewards. It's simple as that. And we're shifting away from that concept in this country, and that bothers me deeply, this march to mediocrity, as I call it. How can anyone not see that not be concerned?
2: And, you know, a lot of these politicians, the only risk they'll ever have is the risk of losing an election, in which case, a lot of times, they get appointed to some position somewhere, i.e., Pete Buttigieg. Exactly.
1: B.J. in Hattiesburg says, glad your voice had recovered. <laughs> Laugh out loud. It's actually hanging in there pretty good today. I'd certainly feel like I sound better at this point in the show with the uh, final segment remaining than I did yesterday. It was starting to falter a bit yesterday. Feeling a lot better and feel like I'll be 100%. I'm like 98 right now. Doesn't sound bad, doesn't no, Not too crackly. Uh, but I appreciate that, B.J. Um... Give them hell on the six six two, easy big guy, easy says Bob in Itawamba. Everything's going to be fine. We got to fix this problem, and I'm not letting up on it. This march to mediocrity is not where this country needs to go. We are an exceptional nation, and I shall not apologize for it. Coming right back.
0: Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
1: the Element Wealth Studios, it is a Friday, y'all. We thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to be doing a remote next Wednesday at the uh, Mississippi Trade Mart for the Mississippi Construction Education Foundation Skills Competition. Registration starts soon. Go to mcef.net for more info. On the C Spire text line, uh, someone uh, texted in Frogtown, Mississippi, one of those towns you don't know a lot Frog? about.
2: I'm not familiar with Frogtown. Really? Where is Frogtown?
1: I don't know. Really appreciate that. Also, I had some photos from Pontotoc, Mississippi, on the 662. You see the debris across the roads there. Yeah, just big-time strong rent winds coming through the area. Incredible. Uh, let's see. Moe's says, Rick Derringer, All-American Boy Album. Wow, what a great album that was, Mose. My favorite Derringer song, used to play it on the drums, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. The great Rick Derringer. I thought I heard the Supreme Court ruled against this investment BS on the ceasefire Spire text line. No, I hadn't made it to the Supreme Court that I'm aware of. Um, they're... There are states that have taken action, such as we have here in the state of Mississippi that I've said, that aren't doing business with banks and other financial institutions that have implemented such so-called ESG woke policies in their banking operations, such as not being willing to loan money to oil and gas companies or gun manufacturers, stuff like that. There's just too much conflation and co-mingling of finance and economic policy, which is fairly objective, with the subjective social justice policies. They should not be commingled. They should not be mixed. They should not be even considered in the same vein. They just shouldn't. That's how you end up poor and broke. I don't want to be poor and broke. Nobody else does either. There is a company making electric vehicles in Tunica County. How would this new law, if passed, affect them? Since they're already in business and selling vehicles, it wouldn't, Jimmy. This is retail sales. It doesn't affect. It it uh, doesn't affect uh, manufacturing. It just affects retail sales. Now, I think it's pretty safe to say that any manufacturer that is considering. Building a new factory somewhere would likely not consider the state of Mississippi if the state of Mississippi's laws are not friendly to their route-to-market sales of their new vehicles. Apple, for example, is scheduled to start selling new vehicles in the next two, three years. Electric vehicles, Apple vehicles. You think Apple's got enough money to figure out how to do that in smarts? Uh, I do. Yeah. So they're going to have to build these things somewhere. My guess is they look at the map of the nation and start trying to determine where they'd locate a factory, and they say, okay, well, show me the states that are friendly to our route to market. Apple, I suspect, will sell through a combination of direct to the consumer from the factory or through an Apple-owned dealer. Well, in Mississippi... Doesn't look like you could do that. So Apple says, well, we were thinking about building a factory in the great state of Mississippi, but given that you won't let us sell our cars there through our preferred route to market, you're off the list. Sorry. Oh, but we don't need that in Mississippi. Unbelievable. Uh, Let's see. Y'all have more fun facts than a weekly reader, says Andy and Jackson. Kelso in Ocean Springs asks, but don't fiduciaries make money when their clients do well? How would it benefit them to choose social pass instead of max ROI? No, that's not true, Kelso. The vast majority of wealth managers they uh, they make uh, fees as a uh, they charge fees as a percentage of the amount managed assets under management AUM. That's the typical arrangement. Uh, there are some. Uh, Fisher Investments is the one that comes to mind that their fees are based on the return they produce for their clients. But the typical wealth manager, it's a a flat, agreed-upon contractual fee. Hell, don't tell the legislature that. They may want to change all that stuff up. (laughs) Can you tell me what DEI stands for, says Dave from Ripley? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's one of those acronyms, Will, that... I don't know anybody ever heard of or thought about until after the George Floyd incident, which we've said is despicable. And uh, the police officers involved in that incident, I believe, were prosecuted to the full extent of the law. I certainly believe that was the right call. But I don't think it means turning everything upside down and launching this entire march to mediocrity and having more DEI employees at universities than history. Teachers, That's ridiculous. That's not what their job is. They're not social justice activists. They're educational institutions. We are out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us. We are back in the studios on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and God bless.